please turn your Bibles to Galatians 5, Galatians 5, and we are talking about walking in the Spirit, and we're in this, this section of Galatians where Paul is, is turning to what it looks like to live in freedom in the gospel. We've talked about the, the true gospel and the, the content of it. We've talked about the, the source of the true gospel, the beginning of Galatians, and now we're, we're talking about the freedom of the true gospel. And so if you're able to, if you, are, if you would stand as we honor God, as we read his word together this morning, we're looking at verses 16 through 18, but I'm just going to go a couple verses earlier uh, to verse 13 and give us a little bit more of the context. And here's what Paul writes. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, lest you are consumed by one another. Then we come to verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Father, we do ask that you would be gracious to us as we look at this text. Lord, this is a foundational text for our, our lives and Yet it's, it's hard to understand how to be obedient to it. So, so help us. Give me clarity of, of speech, uh, calmness as I, I go through these, these verses. And, and I pray that your spirit would guide us so we can be obedient to what you would have us do. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week. Remember last week? Very long ago. Uh, but last week we talked about our freedom. And we saw that freedom doesn't lead, freedom in Christ, it doesn't lead to lawlessness. Freedom in Christ leads to obedience. We saw that by God's grace, we have the ability to love one another as we're obedient to God, using our freedom to love one another. We have, we have God's, God's enabling grace that we can do that instead of devouring one another. I, I, I should love you instead of devour you, right? We saw that. And we saw that it's only as we use our freedom in Christ to love one another that we'll experience the joy of obedience. And if we decide to love ourselves, we're going to experience the, the, the pain of disobedience. Now, no one came up to me after church last week or over the last week and said, uh, hey, Daniel, um, Boy, I, I just really disagree with you. I, I don't think we should love each other. No, no, one, no one came up and, and said that to me. And I, I assume that all of us who are believers would agree that joy is found in loving one another. That joy is found in love. That's a good thing to do. That's what we should do. And Now, does anyone disagree that we should love? Okay, my assumption was correct. We all of us agree that loving each other is, is a good thing to do. So now my assumption, my, my assumption is last week we talked about that. We all agreed that that was a good thing, loving each other, good thing to do. 
That's what God would want us to do. That's where fullness of joy is going to be found, is in, in being obedient to God and loving one another, laying down our lives for each other. So now my assumption is that we all did that this past week, right? That we experienced the joy of fullness of obedience to God, right? So those of you who are single, you with your friends, you perfectly served them over the, the past week, your, your co-workers, you laid down your life regularly for them, uh, those of us who are living in families, uh, those of us who are husbands, we perfectly exhibited the, the joy of loving our spouses, those of us who are siblings, we didn't fight with our, our brother or sister, we, we gave willingly, joyfully, the best seat in the minivan over the past week. No, none of us argued about what TV shows to watch. And this morning, this morning was just a, an amazing time of joy as we got ready for church. This, I'm sure there were no, and how many of you would say, yes, I loved perfectly this past week? Okay, liar. Um, <laughs> no, and, and neither, neither did I. Now, now, why is that, okay? Think about this. All of us agree loving is good. Loving each other is good. And it's where, it's where we're going to find fullness of joy as we're obedient to God. So why didn't we do it? What happened? What happened? This, we all knew it. We all believed it last week. We believe it this morning. Why didn't we just do it? Well, the answer is really simple, right? It's, it's the flesh. Now, now, what is the flesh? We're going to talk more about that, this as we go on. But, but essentially, the, the flesh is that part of me that opposes God. And this past week, you struggled with the flesh. I struggled with the flesh, that part of me that opposes God and and his will. And Paul this morning in this text helps us understand how we can have victory over the flesh in our Christian lives. How can I, how can I love you when it's far easier to devour you, right? It's, it's far easier to consume and devour than it is to love. How can I love God and resist the power of the flesh? And what Paul is going to tell us in this text, and this is the, the main idea that I want us to grasp as we look at this text this morning, that despite, despite the temptation to live in the flesh, Despite that temptation, we can achieve victory as we walk in the Spirit. How can I have victory over the flesh? Walk in the Spirit. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, to look at this, this idea of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit and, and try to understand what that means, unpack that over the, the course of this morning and in the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about this as well. And this morning, in order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three questions and kind of tackle this from a, a couple of different perspectives as we look at these questions. Here's, here's the first question I want us to ask. We've really already answered that, but we're going to deal with it in a little more depth here. Here's the first question. The first question is this. What's, what must I do to defeat the flesh? What must I do to defeat the flesh? We've already seen the answer. The answer is to walk in the Spirit. Now, here's what Paul says in verse 16. Paul says... But I say, so he says, verse 15 is just said, okay, if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you're going to consume each other. But I say, verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You want to avoid gratifying the desires of the flesh, walk in disobedience, well then walk by the Spirit. Now, I want us to look at, at two phrases in that verse, walk by the Spirit and gratify the desires of the flesh. The first phrase, walk by the Spirit, a couple things that I want you to notice about that 
phrase, walk by the Spirit. A couple things to notice. One, notice this. Notice that it's a, it's a command, right? Notice that it's a command. And as we look at this, this phrase, walk by the Spirit, hopefully we're going to explore some, some things about what it means to walk by the Spirit that may be maybe kind of some correctives and some wrong understanding we've had about what it looks like to be obedient in this area. But, but notice first, it's a command. Now, what does that mean? It means this is something we must do. As we've been going through Galatians, we've seen a lot of, of statements, like just this is who you are. These are indicatives. This is, this is what God has done. So, for example, if you're in Galatians, you can turn back to the end of chapter 3, and here's an example. Paul, at the end of Galatians 3, he says, uh, but this is in verse 25, he says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now, listen, these are all statements of fact. For in, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, as you look at those verses, how many commands do you see? There's no command. there's, There's chapter after chapter in which there are no or maybe one kind of very minor instruction. But as you go through the first four chapters of Galatians, it's... It's almost completely free of any sort of imperatives, of any sort of, hey, this is what you need to do. Now we come to chapter 5, and Paul has told us, okay, this is who you are, and now, now that we know who we are, we know that we're in Christ, we know that we're not saved by our works, we're saved by God's grace through faith, we understand these things about who we are as God's adopted children. Now that we understand who we are and what God has done, there's some commands there's going to be quite a few instructions, and this is a very clear, this is an imperative. Hey, walk. Live this way. The Christian life, we see, has many imperatives. We first need to know who we are before we do, but then as we know who we are, as we have the power of the Spirit working within us, we must do. We strive. We, we persevere, not because we're trying to earn God's grace, but because we've already received it. We've arrived at the point in Galatians where we need to emphasize the work we must do by God's enabling. So, so walk, it's a command. Second thing about this phrase, walk by the Spirit, I want you to see. Notice, notice that it's, it's active. It's not passive. There was a, a prominent teaching for the last couple hundred years of Christian evangelical life, and, and maybe you've been kind of influenced by it and, and not even wa- aware of it. It's, kind of like, it's called um, higher life theology. And the idea is that we, we start off kind of down here, and then there can be some sort of moment where we're, we're baptized by the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, all of a sudden we're down here, and all of a sudden whoosh, we shoot up to here, and we're, we're super spiritual all of a sudden. And and there's a phrase that was used a lot of times, and, it, and uh, the, the phrase isn't all bad, but it, it kind of conveys some bad theology. It's, it's the, the, the phrase, let go and, and let God. Has anyone ever heard that phrase before? Let go and let God. And in, in some sense, that's a biblical thing, right? You don't want to try to do everything yourself. You're, you need to, to let go of some of the things you try to hold on to and let God do his work in you. But in a lot of circles, what this teaching led to was, was a passivity, okay? You know what? I need to I need to let go and let go. I need to not try to do anything because 
I just need to let God do everything, and, and I don't need to be concerned about my own personal holiness and striving after obedience, and, and that's not what we see in Scripture. This, this phrase, walk by the Spirit, it's, it's a command, and, it, and it's active. And in fact, as we look throughout Scripture, we often see that there's a relationship between who we are in Christ and, and who we are to become as we do work through God's enabling. So for example, let me give you some examples here. These, these occur, who we are and what we're supposed to do, these, these, these ideas occur so closely together in Scripture. For example, Romans 6. In Romans 6, Paul tells the people some, some things about who they are. He says, thanks be to God, this is in verse 17, you once were slaves of sin, but, but now, he says, you've been set free and have become slaves of righteousness. That's, that's in verses 17, 18. And, okay, so this is who you were. You were a slave of sin. Now you're a slave of righteousness. This is who you are. And then he gives them a command. Next verse. Now present your members as, as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. In other words, this is something now you must do. Now you know who you are. You were a slave of sin. Now you know that you're a slave to righteousness. Now, now do that. Live in accordance with that. Present yourself to God as slaves of righteousness. It's, it's something you endeavor to do. It's, it's work. 1 Corinthians 6. Listen to this in verse 19 and verse 20. Verse 19, this is who you are. No, don't you know that your body is a temple? This is who you are. You're a, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own. This is, a, this is an indicative. This is a statement of fact about what God has done. That's verse 19. Then he comes to the next verse. He says, now, now glorify God in your body. Do this. Act in accordance with who you are. The Christian life, some, person, some have put it this way, the Christian life is a process of becoming who we are by God's grace. J.I. Packer said the motto for the Christian life shouldn't be let go and let God, but, but trust God and get going. Believe what God has said about who you are and now, now live in accordance with that. Okay, so, so again, we're on this phrase, what must I do to defeat the flesh? I walk by the Spirit. The first phrase, walk by the Spirit. It's, it's a command. It's, it's active. This is something we do. Now notice this about it too. That word, and the English doesn't quite convey it the, the way that, that the original language does, but it's, it's an ongoing command. It's, it's, a, it's a command that's, that's continuous. Some people have suggested this. They said, you know what, uh, perfection is possible, right? Eventually, or at some moment, you can be filled with the Spirit and, and you're, boom, you're perfect and you don't need to worry about the struggle with the flesh anymore. But but this command is an ongoing command. It's the idea that it's going to continue to be a, per, a thing that a person strives with. Paul himself, in writing in 62 AD, would say in Philippians 3, Brothers, I don't consider that I've, I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul recognized that this Christian life was an ongoing struggle to walk in the Spirit, to be obedient to God. In fact, even at the end of his life, it wasn't until the end of his life that he recognized that this, this command was coming to an end. It was maybe 64 AD or so where he's writing to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says, he says, um, I'm, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I've I fought the good fight. I've finished the faith, the race. I've kept the faith. 
So it's only at the end of his life that he begins to see that this, this process is beginning to come to a close, and it's only through, through death that the struggle is going to be over. What must I do to defeat the flesh? Well, walk in the Spirit, and it's, it's a command. It's something we do. It's, it's ongoing. And also, this is, this is a, a plural instruction. It's, it's to a community. It's not just to us as individuals living our own individual walk by the Spirit, but this is, this is a, an instruction to the entire church. It's in the context of community, and it's, it's by the Spirit. So, what, what is Paul saying that they need to do? Paul is saying you need to walk in the Spirit. You need to live life as God would desire you to do by God's enabling. In verse 18, he's going to say, be, be led by the Spirit. It's the same idea as, as the Holy Spirit would have you live your life, live in that way through his enabling. In the coming verses, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Live that way by God's enabling. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. So that's the first part of the phrase in this verse. The second part of the phrase in this verse 16 is the phrase, desires of the flesh. Now, now what does the flesh mean? It's, it's confusing because we see it used several different ways in Scripture. Sometimes whenever Scripture uses the term flesh, it just refers to like the physical body. Sometimes that word flesh refers to uh, the physical world. Sometimes, though, it, it has a more specific meaning. And the meaning that I think it has here is, is that which is in opposition to God. One pastor put it this way, it's the flesh is those areas of your heart, life, and mind that still desire things that are not of God. That's the flesh. Galatians, in fact, Galatians offers this, this interesting uh, this interesting contrast. During Galatians 5 and later in verse 24, Paul writes, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, So, so what is the flesh? The flesh is those, those passions and desires that are in opposition to God. And then earlier in Galatians 2, he uses that same phrase, crucified the flesh, but he replaces flesh with something else. Listen to what he says in verse 20 of Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, that's just the physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's been crucified in Galatians 5? It's the flesh. What's been crucified in Galatians 2? Me. So what is the flesh? The, the flesh is that, that part of me, that, that part of my old nature that is in opposition to the things of God. God wants me to do this. I want to do that. What is that? That's the flesh. These things are in opposition to one another. And Paul tells us, look, if you actively pursue life in the Spirit, who you are now, your, your believer you won't be able to gratify the desires of the flesh. He said, well, how can it be true? How can I still have this, 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 this flesh if I'm a new creature in Christ? Well, it's, it's, like, it's like we're sin addicts. And even though we're not living in that life anymore, we understand the, the lure and we understand the, 
the, the pool of the flesh. It is real. We'll talk about this in a moment. It's, it's present. It's, it's an ongoing struggle that we have. So this verse, this command, walk by the Spirit. Paul gives us this command, actively pursue life in the Spirit. And the promise that's attached is, look, if you pursue the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, some friends gave me a, a book uh, called Endure. Endure, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. It's about kind of endurance, running, and things like that. And uh, the author's name is Alex Hutchinson. And he he does this interesting thing. He kind of talks about what it takes to set a a record in running the marathon. He says, you know, there's kind of three components. There's, There's the actual... You know, capacity that you have. There's your efficiency as your as you your body processes things, and you, and you kind of that running economy. And then there's like a, a threshold: how long you can run for, however long you can run. And and he just kind of talks about how the the human body has been able to, to push itself more and more as as it's it's, it's extended its ability to, to run fast for a long period of time. And I think the World record of the marathon used to be two hours and six minutes. That, that was in the 90s. And then every three or four or five years, you, you'll lose a minute. And now it's, I think, officially it's right around 202, something like that. But he describes, maybe maybe remember this, a couple of years ago, maybe two or two years ago or so, Nike did this big thing where they got a couple runners and they, they put them in the ideal circumstances. And they thought, can we have a runner break the two-hour mark for a marathon. They put them on a special track with, I think they were wearing like Adidas shoes or something. No, I think they're Nike shoes. And, you know, they had everything just just perfect, right? And it, it was, in fact, it was so perfect that it wouldn't have counted as a world record if they had been able to do it. But they had this, this runner, they had several runners just run around. This one guy kind of begins to, they recognize he's on pace to, to break the two-hour mark. But just at the very end, he just, his body slowly begins to give out. And he, and he crosses the, 26.2 mile mark, I think 25 seconds over, you know, just over two hours. Just couldn't quite get it done. There's a limit to the body, right? There's a limit to the physical body, what a physical body can do. And if, if Nike came to us this morning and came out on the stage and said, look, uh, we have a special offer. Um, if anyone right now can go out to the Washington track and run around it, um, okay, what would that be, 26 times 4 plus 2, if you, that many times, over 100 times, if you can do it in under 2 hours, we will, we will, we will pay for your church split, $6.2 million, okay, let's go, and we're all got excited, right, yeah, that sounds amazing, we start running, it doesn't matter how excited we are, right? None of us are going to break, I don't know that, but I, I'm assuming none of us can break a two-hour Looking around, not seeing any Kenyans. I, I don't think any of us can break the two-hour mark, okay? doesn't matter how much we want to. But something di- has di- different has happened here as Paul comes to Galatians 5. So, now, you've, you, have his, you have the Spirit. This is who you are. You've been transformed. Now Paul can instruct us to do something that he couldn't instruct unbelievers to do. Walk by the Spirit. Live in accordance with who you are. What do I do to defeat the flesh? Walk by the Spirit. Here's the second question. Question number two. Question number two. Why is there a conflict within me? Why is there a conflict within me? If if I'm in Christ, why don't I just want to be obedient? What does it say about me 
if there's, there's a, if there's a war, why didn't I love my wife perfectly this last week? I wanted to. I thought I wanted to, but then at one moment I didn't want to. What, what happened there? Why is there this conflict within me? Well, here, here's what Paul says in verse 17. Paul says, the desires of the flesh, remember the flesh is, the flesh is those parts of me that are opposed to God. The desires of the flesh, what, what that part of me that's opposed to God, opposed to God wants, those desires, he says, are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit, what is the Spirit that desire? The Spirit desires the, the perfect devotion to God, God's glory being manifested perfectly. Those desires... Those desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So what's, what's the nature of the struggle? The nature of the struggle is, is Spirit, the Spirit of God, versus the flesh. What's the cause of the struggle? Well, the desires of the Spirit and the desires of the flesh are fundamentally opposed to one another. The flesh wants self-glorification. The Spirit wants God glorification, these two things are, are diametrically opposed to one another. They, they cannot coexist. You cannot feed both. Now, what then is the implication of that struggle that exists within me? Well, it says that the struggle is real. Right? That, that, that phrase, uh, the struggle is real, my kids use it all the time whenever we ask them to do something. Uh, I gotta clean my room, the struggle's real, you know. Like, it's kind of become a, a joke phrase, you know, uh, I had to walk up two flights of stairs, the elevator's out, the struggle's real. I had to decide uh, between uh, cupcakes and, and ice cream at, at the office party, the struggle's real. That now, now that phrase has kind of been a little bit of a joke, but it's a phrase that kind of entered into the public consciousness, I think like in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was part of the hip-hop culture, and, and what they were saying is, look, the the African-American struggle, particularly in the inner city, is, is a real struggle. Sometimes it's not noticed. Sometimes people aren't aware of it, but the struggle is real. Now, what is, what is the implication of the struggle? Well, it means the implication of the struggle, the spiritual struggle, is, is it's real. This, this, this conflict is not just in your head. It's not just imaginary. This is a, a true spiritual struggle that exists in your life. The struggle is also current. This is not something that just happened in the past. Now you're a Christian. It doesn't exist anymore. The struggle, Paul is saying here, is, is, is ongoing. Not only is it not only in the past, it's also not going to stop. It's, it's not going to cease in the future before death. The struggle also, another implication is this struggle is, is intense. It's not going to be easy to be a Christian. And another implication, and this is very encouraging, I hope, for you, is that the struggle is good. If there is a war within you, that is a good thing. Why is it a good thing? Because it means you are more than just flesh. If you are a Christian this morning and not at war, it doesn't mean that, you, that you've won. It means you surrendered. The flesh is an ongoing reality that we are going to have to, to battle with. And yes, there's going to be victory over it at moments and times that the flesh is going to continue to try to convince you that there can be a truce, that you can love pleasure and God, that you can love flesh and God. Don't be fooled. How can you have victory on a moment-by-moment -moment basis over the flesh? Well, you can't. 
in and of yourself. You have to do what? That's what we've already talked about. You have to walk in the Spirit. And now, hopefully, we're at the point of the message where you're asking the same question that I asked throughout the week. A question that I think is, is the question of this text. And here's the third question. Well, well how? <laughs> Okay, I defeat the flesh by walking the Spirit. Why is there a struggle within me? Because the, the, the flesh and the, the Spirit are against one another. Okay, walk in the Spirit. I get it, Daniel, but, but how? This past week, I, I thought I wanted to walk in the Spirit. I thought I was trying to walk in the Spirit, but it, but it didn't happen. Now, Paul says here, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, as I, this, this past week, have thought about this text, I have... I've struggled a lot. I, I try to write down some things. Okay, I think, okay, I can, I can say this, or I'll, I'll word this this way, and I'll, I'll write something down, and I'll look at it, and I'll, and I'll think, I think I've worded that wrong. Sometimes I, I wrote something down, and I think, you know what, that's, that's too passive, and this is, this is a command. It needs to be active. It's not just let go and let God. It's, it's, I think, okay, it's, that's too passive, and I, I write it again. I look at it, and I'm, you know what? That's too much about works. That's too fleshly. That's not relying upon the Spirit. So as I've thought about verse 18 in particular and, and the, the whole text, there's, there's three thoughts that I think the text points us to that, that hopefully you'll find helpful. Hopefully you'll find this helpful. It's, it's a, an issue that I think is not easy, and yet there are aspects of it that are, that are simple. You know, I was talking with this this morning about, uh, I was talking about this with someone this morning and kind of my difficulty, and he said, yeah, it's like saying, uh, it's like an essay question. You have one page. Explain the universe. Define the universe. Give three examples. I told him I wasn't going to say it right. Um, anyway, it's not easy. There's some hard aspects here. here. Here's three thoughts that, here's three thoughts that I think the text points us toward. Number one, a first thought here. I walk in the Spirit and not by my own strength. Okay? I, I walk in the Spirit and not by my own strength. How do I walk in the Spirit? Well, it's not by my own strength. It's by the Spirit. I'm, it says here, if you're led by the Spirit. Earlier, walk. Walk was active. It was a command. Led is, is passive. God has transformed us. We see this all throughout Galatians. That's why... He's, Paul is so intent on helping us understand who we are in Christ. Ezekiel chapter 36, Paul, uh, Ezekiel writes, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give, give uh, the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, meaning a, a, a true spiritual flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my, my rules. And, and God does that. That's, that's a God thing that God does. And then God continues to motivate us. Philippians chapter 2 is a, a key passage for us to understand how we walk by the Spirit. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is something you do, and then he explains why. Verse 13, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I'm, I'm to do these things, and how can I do it? Because God 
is enabling me. I walk in the Spirit, not by my own strength. Another thought here that I think the text points us to is I walk in the Spirit, not by being passive. So I I walk not by my own strength, and I also walk not by being passive. He says, you're not under the law. And the idea there, I I think, is that, look, you're you're going to be motivated to do things, and as I'm, I'm doing these things, I'm not striving in my own strength, but I am striving, but I'm not striving in my own strength. There's, there's a striving that's not passive. Paul would say, remember in Colossians 1, I, I toil, I, I toil. There's this idea of, of immense effort and exertion that goes into this walk of obedience. I don't just sit back, but I, I toil, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And then the third thought that I think is helpful here How do I walk in the Spirit? I walk in the Spirit by exercising faith as God leads. I walk in the Spirit by exercising faith in God as as He leads me. Now, I'm pointed in this direction for a couple reasons as we go through Galatians. Listen to how Paul describes the working of the Spirit and and relates it to faith in other places in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 We've already talked about verse 20, but he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, by faith. I'm, I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm, I'm trusting that the things that God says are true are true. Galatians 3.5. Remember what Paul says there as he talks about living the Christian life and, and, and the role of the Spirit. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. What's, what's walking by the Spirit there? It's, it's hearing God's Word taught to you. It's reading God's Word and, and believing that the things that are in God's Word are, are true. That's it's walking by the Spirit. And the, the Spirit works through His Word as I hear it and I believe it. Verse 5 of Galatians 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So I'm, I'm living my life, I'm, I'm hoping for this, this future glorification, and I'm, I'm living this life, and I'm doing things by, by faith, by faith, I'm walking in the Spirit. You say, well, Daniel, that's a little more helpful, but can you, can you be more practical, give me less theology, more, what, what do I do? Now understand if I give you a formula, um, we, we're starting to veer, veer into law, okay? So let me, let me give you something that may help you. Um, it's an acronym. The acronym is not helpful. The acronym is CARTA. You know, CARTA is Latin for charter. And you know what a charter is? It's like a government recognized. I told you it's not helpful. But CARTA. <laughs> CARTA. So the C, cling to, what do I do? What, how do I walk by the Spirit? Help me out. This is a formula, but here's some things to think about. I, I see, I, I cling to the gospel. I, I believe that what the gospel says. I don't know why I struggle with my pinky. This is more authoritative. I cling, I cling to the gospel. I, I, I believe that the things that God says about me are true, that I, I, I need, I'm in utter need of God's grace for salvation and continued life. So I, I begin by clinging to the gospel. Then I, I A, I, I ask for God's, grace. I, I plead for the Spirit that He would enable me to, to be obedient. I, I plead for His help. If I'm trying to do stuff, just trying to live the Christian life apart from prayer, that is not a person who's walking by the Spirit. It's a person who's walking by the flesh. So I'm clinging to the gospel. And I'm asking God for His grace. I'm saying, okay, 
Please, God, give me your spirit. Allow me to to do the things that I I want to do. Allow me to love my sister. Allow me to to love my brother. Allow me to love my spouse. Allow Allow me to love my coworkers. Help me by your spirit's enabling work. Allow me to be obedient to the things that are so hard for me to do in my flesh. And then, R, I, I read and I meditate on God's word. The order doesn't have to be in this, this, this specific order. I could read before praying. I, I read God's word and, and I meditate on it. I think deeply about the things that God's word says to you. It's just the spirit works through his word. And so I may think that, that living the Christian life looks like this. And then I, I read and I meditate upon God's word. I say, oh, you know what? My understanding about possessions, my understanding about grace, my understanding about forgiveness was, was all wrong. I, I had this thing co- completely incorrect. I need to think rightly about this. And so I, I read and I meditate on God's word. And then I, I tee, I, I trust in God's promises. I walk in the Spirit means believing and trusting the things that I've, I've, word, I've read in God's Word. God's Word tells me I'm, I'm to love this person and, and they have treated me terribly. And as I think about the terrible things that they've done, the idea of, of, of loving them and sacrificing myself doesn't seem like it's going to lead to a good end. And what do I do? I cling to the gospel. I ask God for his, his help, I, I read, I meditate on the scripture, and I trust as I, as I do these things that, that God is going to, to be faithful. And, th- and that is the last thing, the A, I, I act, I, I do things, I, I live life trusting that God's spirit is going to enable me to do the things that God has called me to do. That's some biblical ideas about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, to be submissive to God's will, to strive by God's enabling to to do things. Let me give you a couple of examples. A couple of examples. Maybe this will help, too. Don Whitney, in his book on spiritual disciplines, writes about... um, I think he's quoting another writer, and he writes this. Recently, I read again of a woman who simply decided one day to make a commitment to pray. And my conscience was, was pricked, but, but I knew myself well enough to know that something other than just resolve was being called for. So I began to pray about praying. I expressed to God my frustrated longings, my jaded sense of caution about trying again. I expressed to God my sense of failure overworking and at being disciplined and regular, I, I discovered something surprising happening from such simple praying. I was drawn into the presence of the one who had, far more than I did, the power to keep me close. I found my focus subtly shifting away from my efforts to God's, from, from rigor to grace, from rigidity to relationship. I soon realized that this was happening regularly. I was praying much more. I became less worried about the mechanics and methods, and in turn I was more, vo- more motivated. What is that? It's, it's believing that what God says is true. It's asking for its help. It's, it's, it's help. It's beginning to obey. Another pastor was talking about being in the, the home of, of someone and above their, their kitchen sink, seeing several great Bible promises on, on the sink, promises designed to, to compel obedience, and, and talking with, with the, the person who put them up there, and, and her just talking about how she, she put them up there to, 
to rely upon God's grace and to pursue God's grace, right? So she sees them, she prays for them, she believes them, and she starts doing. George Mueller once said that his, his primary business that he had to attend to every day was to have his soul happy in the Lord. He said every day he asked first not how he must serve the Lord, but how he could get his, whole, his soul in a happy state. He would begin with reading God's word and he'd pray, trusting in God's promises, and then he would act. Hudson Taylor, uh, one time someone told about Hudson Taylor hearing some, some very concerning news. And as someone was re- relaying this concerning news to him, they, they noticed that Hudson Taylor almost instinctively was, was humming. And he was humming the hymn, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what you are. Now, how would you describe what happened in those people's lives? All of those, I think, are examples of the temptation of the flesh to oppose God, but that temptation being overcome by believers walking in the Spirit. Now, can you call what they did man-fueled sanctification? Like, did, did they do that? No. I mean, they, it wasn't them doing that at all. But would, could you describe what they were doing as passive? Well, no, you can't describe it as passive at all. It was, it was action. It was, it was hardly just sitting back and letting go and letting God. It's a tension there. Last week, last week we did not love perfectly, right? None of us did. That temptation was a constant temptation with us to live in the flesh, and, and so at moments we succumbed to it. But hopefully what happened is this. Hopefully last week you heard God's word, you believed what God's word was, said was true, and, and you strove to act in it. You relied upon the, the Spirit. Say, Lord, help me here. And hopefully this week you'll do this, do this again, and you'll trust in the Lord, you'll, you'll repent. We'll, we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, about the response to sin, the response when we see the works of the flesh. But our hope is this. Our hope is that despite the constant temptation to live in the flesh, we can achieve victory as we walk in the Spirit. Recognizing our need for the gospel, to trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, and the ability to continue to walk in faith and believe the things that God has said are true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for this good news. And we we pray that you would help us to fight the flesh this week. We pray that as we see the flesh exposed in our lives, we would recognize it as the flesh, as that which is in opposition to you. We would confess it, we would repent of it, and we would turn to you in faith, and we would walk in further obedience as your spirit enables us. Give us your grace and your joy this week. We pray in your son's name. Amen.